Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. All right, so we're in, this is part two, destiny, fight for it. Second Timothy chapter four, verse seven is our springboard text, which says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. He's saying, never quit the fight, never quit the race, and never quit the faith. He's saying, I fought a good fight. A lot of people have the idea about Christianity that it's a crutch. I've heard people say, well, Christians are just milk toast. But the truth is the exact opposite. When you become a Christian, you instantly enter into a spiritual warfare. And from that day, from the womb of your Christian existence to the tomb, it is going to be a fight. It happens to everybody. In Proverbs 24, in verse 16 says, the righteous may fall seven times and rises again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. Everybody, listen, everybody gets knocked down from time to time. It may be by a habit, a relationship in your finances. It might be your health. It might be a broken relationship. Something knocks you down. Now, the Bible says the unrighteous, they get knocked down and they stay down. But what the righteous do when they get knocked down is the righteous, they get back up. They say, I am not finished yet. Now, the world might tell you three strikes and it's out. But you just need to tell the world, the flesh, and the devil, this is my bat, my ball, my game, and I'm not done till I say I'm done. You just keep on getting back up. Everybody, listen, has chances to quit. But Paul is saying, don't quit the fight. Don't quit the race. Don't quit the faith. We all have opportunities. I have really only fought depression three times in my life. You know, you look at many people, even great people like Winston Churchill. Uh, he fought depression for an entire decade. He called it the black dog. Abraham Lincoln fought depression. I can honestly say only three times in my life have I fought depression. The first one, I had been saved only about a year. I was in Bible school down in Dallas. And I was just looking around. And, and I look back today and I say, you know, it was an attack of the enemy. But I looked around and I just thought, man, everybody's so spiritual. And I'm just not spiritual like everybody else. And what in the world am I doing here? What do I think I'm doing? And I, and I just got depressed. And I, in fact, I called my dad up and I said, dad, I said, you know, I, I just, I'm just, I just shouldn't be here. I'm just in the wrong place. Now I had driven my motorcycle to Texas. Now this is late November, right? And there's already snow in Michigan. And so I called dad and I said, you know, dad, would, would you come and get me? He said, well, next, you know, the end of next week, I'll take a couple of days off from work. I'll get a U-Haul trailer and, and I'll come and get you. So, so all I've got is a motorcycle. And by the way, when Jeannie and I dated, we dated on a motorcycle, right? Because I didn't have a car and I still have scars to prove that because she had never been on a motorcycle and baby, she hung on. <laughs> right? So I remember that week. I, I was just like under a cloud. And I remember getting in prayer, right? And finally, as, as the few days went by, you know, I got up and I just shook. The th How many know sometimes you just need to shake it off? You know, that depression, you need to shake it off. 
that condemnation, that guilt, that regret. What a terrible thing to live your life just in regret, looking back and, well, I should have, and, and if I wouldn't have done this, and man, if I just had done this. You, know, you can live your life in regret, but you know what you need to do? You need to get up and you need to shake it off. Shake it off. Stand up, say, devil, no, you don't. Not in my life, you don't. Not in my family, not with my kids, not with my joy, not with my peace, not with my destiny. No, you don't. In Jesus' name, no, you don't. See, you got to stand up. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Now listen, the devil tells every one of us that we, what we have, it's worse than what anybody else has. You, you know what you've got? You've got the VIP temptation. You've got the VIP, VIP problem. But the truth is that there, there are people right here sitting in this sanctuary today that have had the exact same problem, the exact same feelings, the exact same situation. There's... there's, there's Tens of thousands of people, all right, that are going to watch this telecast, that have had the exact same problem, the exact same feelings. The devil tells you, no, you're the exception. But the Bible says anything that comes your way, it is common. Listen, the devil is not that smart. You got that? The devil is not that smart. You, you know why when you go to the doctor, the doctor takes your symptoms and he just says, he, he, he diagnoses you right away. Listen, the reason is the devil only does so many things physically. The same thing is true with a counselor. You go to a counselor and, and they'll listen to you and they'll have you diagnosed by the end of the first session. You say, why? Because the devil tells the same lies to everybody. The devil tries to get the same people, everybody to do the same thing, right? He, he hasn't had an original idea ever, right? He coming at you with the same stuff he comes at with me with, but he comes at your friends with, he comes at your neighbors with. He's got just a few things and he keeps doing the same stuff. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. The fact that you and I find ourselves in the situation that we're in is proof that God says you can go through it and you can have victory. He said, nothing's ever going to come your way that's bigger than you are. And with the temptation, he'll provide the way of escape that you'll be able to bear it. You know, you might get depressed and discouraged and downcast and despondent, right? But you need to stand up in Jesus' name and say, God is with me. God is for me. The Apostle Paul said it like this, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1. Since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we don't lose heart. Now, that, not lose heart, you know, what exactly does that mean? It means you don't get discouraged. But listen, Amplified Translation, and of course, you know this, the Amplified Translation is the women's translation because it says the same thing, but with more words. All right. Everybody's laughing. You know why? Because you know that's true. All right. He said, we don't get discouraged, spiritless, and despondent with fear or become faint with weariness and exhaustion. Look, he just said, we do not get discouraged. We just don't let it happen. And he said, why? Because we receive mercy. Now, in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 6, I want you to listen careful to this. It says, let us then fearlessly and confidently and with boldness 
draw near to the throne of grace, the throne of God's unmerited favor to us sinners, that we may receive mercy for our failures. Now, this verse is talking about two things that God does for you and me. It's talking about mercy and it's talking about grace. All right. Mercy, as I've told you before, has to do with your past. It says mercy for our failures. It's talking about your failures, your sins, and your shortcomings. How many of you have had a few failures? The Bible says there's mercy. There's forgiveness for what you have done. And there's just, and it's a forgiveness where you're made clean and new, just like it never happened. The Bible calls it being justified, being made just as if I'd never done it. There's mercy for you. Understand this. God is not looking at your past to consult your future, determine where he's going to take you. Right? That thing, you've been justified. You've been made just as if you'd never done it. Now, as Christians, we tend to focus on mercy. But notice what this verse says. The throne of grace. To find grace to help in good time for every need, appropriate help, well-timed help coming just when we need it. Now, mercy has to do with your past, your failures, your sins, your shortcomings. But God's grace has to do with today and tomorrow. Listen, God's grace is God giving you supernatural ability and help to face every problem you're facing today and every problem that's going to show up tomorrow. That's what grace is. Right? Now, notice again what it says. And find grace to help in good time for every need. What's your need? It might have to do with your family, with a relationship, with your children, with your job, with your finances, with your peace, with your joy, with your purpose, with your destiny. But there is grace. There is God's help for every need. Appropriate help. Well-timed help coming just when we need it. No matter where you are, no matter what you're facing, God has got help for you. He's got grace for you. And, and it's great that we are grabbing hold of his mercy, but we need to, by faith, grab hold of his grace. Now, I remember when Jeannie and I first went to Mexico. We were Mex in Mexico for seven years as missionaries. Now, when we went to Mexico as missionaries after we graduated from Bible school, uh, we didn't do it the traditional way where you go when you raise support. We just went. In fact, for three and a half years, we did not have one church that helped us financially on a regular basis. Not one. Zero. So we got to Mexico. I got in Bible school. I, I think I've told you how I ended up almost, we were there about a month when I started to pastor a church. And we've been there about two and a half, three months. We ran out of money. All the money we had in the world. In fact, here's what happened. It was dinner time and Jeannie made pancakes, but they didn't have everything in them. They were just, you know, what we had, but there weren't. I remember eating those pancakes and, and she made them with love, but that was the, the best thing you could say about those pancakes. I mean, they were, they were some bad pancakes, all right? Our, our car was sitting in the driveway. We were running on fumes. I did not have enough gasoline to get to church and get back. I didn't even know if I had enough to get to church. 
You could ride a bus for one peso. Peso was eight cents. We did not have eight cents in the world. Right? And in my mind, these thoughts are coming. You were an idiot. You should have never gone to Mexico. You need to call somebody. You need to get help and you need to get home because this is not working. I remember going in the back bedroom and I said to God, I said, God, when we were in Bible school, missionary Wayne Myers came and Wayne Myers said, when things get really, really bad, that's when God shows up. And I said, God, that is today. <laughs> I'm serious. This is, this is, that is exactly what I said. I said, God, that is today. Now, now I've been in ministry for 40 years. Right? I know I started when I was three. <laughs> Jeannie was still in the womb. <laughs> right. So during all of that time, this, has this is the only time that it ever, ever, ever happened. I have never had anyone come to my house and say, Pastor, do you need a ride to church? Ever. Except that night. Rogelio came and knocked on the door. And he said, Pastor, do you need a ride to church? And I said, I'd love to go with you. <laughs> Get to church. Walked in. There was a guy I think I had seen one other time. And I never saw him again in my life. He walked up to me and he said, I feel impressed to give you $20. And I looked at him and I said, I feel impressed to receive those $20. <laughs> so we preached that night. It was a great service, you know. And I went home. I got that changed into pesos, and I gave half to Jeannie, and I took half. Now, the next morning, I was supposed to pick up three pastors at the airport in Guadalajara who were from California, and they were staying at our house for 10 days and going to preach. So I took and put gas in that car and I went to get them. I gave her her share. She went to the market, the open air market where you could wheel and deal. And she bought everything she could with $10. Now this was 1983. No, excuse me, 1976. And uh, $10 was more than it is today, but it still, it was $10. So she's buying the most that she can. And back then, the, what you could get the most of at the market for money was fruit and vegetables. So she gets fruit and vegetables and she walks back to the house from the market and she starts putting the fruit and vegetables away. And, and as every good woman, she's planning her meals. And she's planning and she goes, fruit salad for breakfast, vegetable salad and fruit salad for lunch, fruit salad and vegetable salad for dinner. She's trying to plan this thing out. And she, she said to me later that day, she said, I was putting the, the fruit and the vegetables away, and she said, and I was just trying to believe God. She said, and I just started to cry. And she said, and I heard the brakes on an old car screech to a stop right in front of our house. She said, I looked out the window, and there's a lady getting out of an old little car, and she's bouncing over to the door. <laughs> so Jeannie says, you know, she straightens up a little bit and answers the door. And the lady said, she said, my husband and I, she said, we just felt like the Lord wanted us to bring you some food. And she comes in with five boxes full of meat, 
flour, sugar, salt, everything that we didn't have, right? And I mean, God just kept on providing and providing and providing and providing. Do you know what? There are going to be times when you wonder, is God going to come through? I am here today to testify to you that God's mercy forgives all of our sins, but his grace, it enables us to face every single situation that we faced. I know it's been true in my life, but you know why it's true? It's true because the Bible's true. How many of you, the same Bible, it's your Bible. And if it's true, if it's in the word, it is true for you, right? Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I mentioned this last week. Paul, the greatest missionary evangelist the church has ever seen. What made him great wasn't his revelation. It wasn't his intelligence. It wasn't his delivery of the message. What made him great was he wouldn't quit. You know, they, they, they would beat him up, stone him, leave him for dead. He'd get up, go back into town. Five times, 39 lashes. Get up and keep going. Three times, beaten with rods. Get up and keep going. Shipwreck, snake bit. Get up and keep on going. Right? What makes a Christian make it all the way is you never stop the fight. You never stop the race. And you never quit the faith. You keep going. Isaiah 7 verse 9. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. The Bible tells us this, all right? Listen, sometimes opposition means that you are on the right trail. We sometimes look at opposition and like, well, the door is closed. Let me tell you something. When Paul got to town, he didn't look for an open door. He knocked one down. He just knocked it down. Look. Paul, when he got to town, there was opposition every place he went. Jesus had opposition every place he preached. Of the 11, you know, Jesus had 12 apostles. Judas hung himself, 11 are left. Of those, 10 died martyrs. John, they tried to kill him. The, the tradition tells us they took him and they dipped him in boiling oil. And he came up and said, hi, how you doing? They put him back down. They couldn't kill him, so they put him on the island of Patmos. What am I saying? I'm saying there's roadblocks, there's problems, there's opposition. The devil is the master of roadblocks. But listen, our God is the master of breakthroughs. David said, my God has broken through my enemies like water coming through a dam. Now, it may start small, but how many of you know once you get that hole in the dam, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. David said, by my God, I can run through a troop and I can leap over a wall. I remember another one of those roadblocks. We've been in Mexico seven months, which is not really a lot of time to learn a new language. And when we went to Mexico, you said, do you know any Spanish? Taco, enchilada, chimichanga. I mean, well, well my, our vocabulary to say was limited is, is, is an understatement, all right? But we, we get to Mexico and we start working in this church. I told you before, how in a very short time we ended up pastoring a church. Well, I had an interpreter. I've been there seven months. Our interpreter is on his motorcycle. He's going down the street the right way. 
A city bus comes down the wrong way and they hit each other right in the middle. And he was in a full body cast for over a year. And they told me that day in the afternoon, they said, he's been in a, he's been in a motorcycle wreck. He's in the hospital. You know, we need you to go see him, but you need to understand this. He is not going to be translating for you for a long time. And I knew I was not ready to start preaching in Spanish. And again, I'm like, what do I do? Do I just, do I give up? So I remember we prayed, I prepared, I went to church, I preached a sermon. Uh, I, I know that God in heaven, and I'll explain this to you. God in heaven watches people learn languages and he laughs. And I think all the angels laugh, all right? The first sermon, I got through it. I got to the altar call. Now, in Spanish, a fish, once it's caught, is a pescado. And a sin is a pecado. Pescado, pecado. So I told them, if you will come to Jesus, he will wash all your fish away. <laughs> there must have been some people that worked at the fish market because they responded. Right? Next, the, the, the next service, all right, the very next service, I was preaching about the blood of Jesus and how special he is and his blood is. Un hombre especial. But instead of saying especial, a special man, I said espacial, which is an astronaut. <laughs> I I'm preaching my whole sermon about Jesus the astronaut. You know? Um, we had some friends who took it to another level. All right. He's preaching and an adulterer is an adultero and an adult is an adulto. So as he finished his sermon, he said, I want all of the adulterers to come forward and pray here at the altar. And when nobody came, he said, I see you and I'm coming to get you right now if you don't come on up. You know? And then the other one <clears throat> is preaching on the, not the, the sheep, the, you know, the, the 99 sheep and how the the shepherd lost one sheep, and so he left the 99 sheep at home. Well, a sheep is an oveja, but an old lady is a vieja. He said the Lord had 100 old ladies. But when he lost one, he left 99 at home and went and searched for the old lady he'd lost. And when the Lord found the old lady, he threw her over his shoulder, and he compassionately brought her all the way home. <laughs> now listen, God in heaven laughs. But I want to tell you something. I never felt so inadequate, you know, and, and, and things were just saying, give up, give up, give up, quit, quit, quit. But you know what? You fight the good fight and you don't quit. You stay in the race and you don't quit. You keep the faith and you don't quit. Our God is a God of breakthroughs. Never quit the fight, never quit the race, never quit the faith. Listen, in, in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, it says this. It says, be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, here's what has happened. So often in Christianity today, we become passive. We have a place in our theology for the devil. We believe he exists, but there's no place in our life. We live our life as if the devil did not exist. But the Bible says, be sober and be vigilant. 
Because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. So what we do is we live as if he didn't exist and we become passive and we just figure, well, whatever happens is going to happen. Well, let me just remind you, you will never receive God's best just sitting back and thinking that God's blessings are going to fall on you like ripe cherries off a tree. God had told the children of Israel, I've given you the promised land, but because they would not fight, they did not possess. They did not receive what God wanted them to have. I think it's interesting that John Hopkins University Medical Department says cancer is more likely to occur in low-key, non-aggressive personalities. The reason? The devil exploits passivity. 2 Timothy 2, 26. That they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So the Bible says that Satan takes people captive. Right? And when they, he takes them captive, they end up doing Satan's will. How does this happen? It's because your will has become passive. You're not doing your will. You're doing his will. In so much of Eastern religion, they try to tell us all the problems in this world are because of desire. If you will just stop desiring, if you will just eliminate all desire from your life, well, you will reach enlightenment. You will reach nirvana. And the truth is you'd be poor, you'd be sick, you'd be miserable, hungry, without clothes and shelter, but you just won't care. Right? Let me just tell you something. Christianity is not a passive belief. The Bible says, David wrote this. He said, one thing have I desired of the Lord and that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Jesus said, what things ever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them. The psalmist wrote and said, God will give you the desires of your heart. The Bible says, speaking of Jesus, zeal for your house has eaten me up. You say, what zeal? Zeal is desire on steroids. That's what it is. Jesus had desire. And let me remind you, Jesus said, the kingdom of God suffereth violence and the violent take it, seize it by force. By what? By force. Somebody said, well, doesn't the Bible, Jesus said, fear not, little flock. Your father desires to give you the kingdom. Is that true or is take it by force true? Yes. See, our father wants to give us every blessing. He wants to give us the kingdom. But there is, the Bible says, your adversary, the devil, and he will do everything that he possibly can to keep every blessing, every good thing that God wants in your life out of your life. So the Bible says, resist him steadfast in the faith. James says it this way, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And let me remind you, that word flee means to run in stark terror. The devil will flee from you. Now listen, the last time the devil fled from you is the last time that you resisted him. And when is the last time you resisted? Because so many of us, we live our life if, if there is no such thing as the devil except in theology. But the Bible says he is the enemy of your soul, right? And we need to do the exact same thing that Jesus did. 
When the devil showed up, Jesus said, it is written. Devil, no. The devil showed up, said, and Jesus answered and said, devil, it is written. And the devil said, and then Jesus said, it is written. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. Get thee behind me. Let me tell you something. The Bible says the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. But listen, you got to take your authority. You got to rise up. You got to say, devil, no, you don't. Not to my marriage, you don't. Not to my family, you don't, devil. In Jesus' name. Not my kids. You will not have my kids. In Jesus' name. You will not have my joy. In Jesus' name. You'll not have my peace. In Jesus' name. You'll not have my health. In Jesus' name. You'll not take my destiny. You will not take my purpose. I'm going to fulfill my days. I'm going to fulfill what God has called me to do. I will stand strong with the word of God. And I'm going to put the devil under my feet. In Jesus' name. In his name, with his word, by the power of his blood, stand up. Don't be passive. Don't let the devil take what belongs to you. Don't let the devil ensnare you so you're taken captive to do his will. Rise up, grab hold of what God's got for you, for your family, your purpose, and your destiny. In Jesus' name. Now. Let me pray for you just one moment. I know this, every person here, you are fighting a great fight. And Father, we thank you for your mercy, for our failures, for our sins. But we thank you for your grace. We thank you today for the grace of God that brings appropriate help, well-timed help, for every situation, just when we need it. And I pray, Father, for your grace to be multiplied in this place to every person, to every family that's represented, to bring your will, your kingdom to come, your will to be done in our families, in our marriages, in our homes, in our schools, in our jobs, in our businesses. Father, we thank you for victory. We thank you, Father, for using us to plunder hell, to populate heaven. That God, the devil, is defeated and under our feet. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Every head bowed, please. Every eye closed. I was reading a book. President Bush II, Bush became president. When his father was still vice president before he ever became president, he said that Billy Graham was at their home and they took a walk. And Billy Graham said to President Bush, who was not president at the time, he said, are you right with God? And this is what he said. He said, no, but I want to be right with God. And if you are here today, and you're not right with God, but you say, I want to be right with God. I want you to listen very carefully. God loves you. He loves you if you've never darkened the door of a church. If you're religious, he loves you. If you have done every sin, every wrong thing that you can think of, he loves you. And there is nothing you can do to make him love you more. 
in nothing you can do to make him love you less. He loved you so much. He looked and he saw that you needed forgiveness. And he sent Jesus. And Jesus went to a cross and shed his blood and paid for your sin and my sin. There is no more important subject in the world than the eternity of your soul. As the Apostle Paul wrote about it, this is what he said. He said, God is pleading through us. We implore you in Jesus' place to be reconciled to God. Understand this. If Jesus was here today in person, he would beg you, beg you to receive forgiveness. Beg you to get right with God. And every person that's here that's right with God, we would beg you today, get right with God. And if you need to get right, you say, I need forgiveness. I want to be right with God. I need God to make me a new person on the inside. Give me a new life. I need him to come into my life to rescue me. Listen, I'm going to count to three. When I say three, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand. We're going to pray together. God will meet you here today. And when you leave, you're going to be forgiven. You're going to be right with God. So as you lift your hand, first of all, you're saying, God, I know I'm a sinner and need a Savior, and I'm coming to Jesus today to be forgiven and to be saved. One, you lift, as you lift your hand, you're saying, God, today, I'm going to stop living for myself, and I'm going to live for Jesus every day. Two, now get ready. You're lifting your hand, and you're saying, God, today, I want to be right with you, so today, I'm receiving Jesus. He's going to come into my heart. He's going to blood wash me from my sin, make me a new person on the inside, a part of your family on my way to heaven. Three, lift that hand up right now. Lift it up. Say, pray with me. Pray with me. I am not right with God, but I want to get right. Thank you. I see that hand and that hand and that hand and that hand. Are there others? Include me, Pastor. Thank you. God bless you. All the way in the back, up in the balcony. Thank you. Others? Pastor, pray with me. Not right. I want to be right. I want to be forgiven. All right, would everybody please stand? Now, everybody look right at me. If you lifted your hand, would you please move to the aisle that's nearest you? Bring whoever you came with, whatever you brought, but make your way right down here from the balcony. Please make your way down. We will wait for you all the way from the balcony, but come on down. We're going to pray. And when we say amen, your path, it's going to be gone. You're going to be right with God. You're going to be on your way to heaven. This is your day. This is it. Jesus said, confess me before men. I will confess you before my Father who's in heaven. This is the greatest decision that you could ever possibly make. This is your day. Romans 10, verse 13. Whosoever, that means you, will call on the name of the Lord, will be saved. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to call on his name the way the Bible, come right over here, the way the Bible shows us to, and we're going to say amen in just a moment. Now, when we say amen, your past is going to be gone. You're going to be right with God. You're going to be on your way to heaven. Remember, this is God's promise. Whosoever, that means you. The devil will tell you that ain't you, but it's you. We're going to say amen. You're going to be saved. Your past is going to be gone. You are going to be right with God. You're going to be on your way to heaven. You're going out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. All the way from the balcony, 
Thank you for making it down. Awesome. Awesome. God bless. Come right down. Oh. All right. Would everyone take one hand and put it over your heart and lift your other hand towards heaven and let's pray together. Say this, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I receive him today as my Savior and my Lord. I'm going to live for him every day. I thank you that you have heard my prayer. That you blood washed me from my sin. That my past is gone. That I am your child. A part of your kingdom. Today and forever. Devil, you just lost me. Jesus, I am yours. Today and forever. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, 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 yes. Awesome. Now, this is so important. Listen, we want to get your name and we're going to pray for you every day for the next month. And we're going to give you some material to help you keep growing spiritually. Take just a couple minutes of your time. Can you follow our prayer partners right there? Give them a hand, please. Awesome. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.